Well, hey, two things I want to say before we get started today. First of all, um, well, three things. Welcome, everybody. Uh, glad you're here today. If you're new to Daybreak, um, I hope that uh, you just feel at home today and that God speaks to you this morning and you're encouraged. Secondly, um, if uh, I just want to say thank you to our worship team because you don't know this, but um, in the last 24 hours, people have gotten sick. People have switched locations and instruments and done all kinds of things just so that we could be led in worship this morning. Uh, some people 24 hours ago didn't know that they would be doing what they're doing, even less than that. So uh, thank you to you guys for adjusting and leading us today. Appreciate that. And the third thing is that on Monday nights, we offer um, a ministry called Grief Shares for people who have experienced loss. And we're going to set up some extra chairs for those of us who are Penn State fans this week. Um, <laughs> we just want you to know there's a place for you to go and uh, where you can find healing and hope for a new day. So uh, I was one of those people last night who needed that, that healing and that hope. Hey, we've been in this series, One Another, learning how to love each other well and learning how to look to Jesus, who is a great model for us, uh, the perfect model for us in doing that. And we've had a verse that has been the, uh, kind of the central verse for our, our series, and it's from John 13, verses 34 and 35. So I'm going to read that for you. It says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're, you are my disciples. And this has been a great series for me. I hope it's been a good series for you as well. And I think it's been great because it's been both affirming and challenging in many ways. There's been a lot of parts of this series through uh, the weekend services, through small group study together, through personal study that I've resonated with and said amen to and thank you God for. And then there have been other parts that have kind of kicked my tail a little bit <laughs> and challenged me to love better, <laughs> uh, challenged me to say, hey, Jesus, you want to do this work of loving through me. If this is how the world is going to know that I'm your disciple, then teach me how to love better because I'm not doing such a great job in some areas of my life. So I hope that you've had a similar experience that it's been both affirming and challenging for you as well. And I hope this morning uh, continues on that theme. Well, today we're going to jump into the second half of this series. I can't believe we're doing that. I can't believe it's the end of October and we're just about to jump into November. And finally, it does feel like fall. Uh, I was out at Messiah watching a game yesterday and just the beauty of uh, kind of the trees and the color change just, just caught me. But kind of life moves along and through different seasons. And so this, this one another that we're going to look at today, I think, is especially important because uh, we're, we're given this instruction to encourage one another. It's kind of a vital one. And we see it uh, throughout the New Testament, but we're going to specifically be looking in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 today as we dig into this a little bit more. So my daughter Annie is in kindergarten, and I understand that the elementary schools, not just in our district, but also in our area, uh, are all about bucket filling. Have any of you heard this conversation before? Maybe you're familiar with it. It goes something like this. Each of us has an emotional bucket, and it's constantly being filled or being emptied depending on what others say to us. So that when our bucket is full, we feel great, but when our bucket is empty, we feel awful. And when we fill other people's buckets by doing or saying things that are encouraging to them, then we also fill our own bucket. But when we empty other people's buckets by doing or saying things that are discouraging, we also then empty our own buckets and we both feel bad, right? So I've also heard this taught using warm fuzzies and cold pricklies. Anybody familiar with the warm fuzzies and the cold pricklies? All right. 
I think it's the same concept. So we, we teach this to our kids, but most of us as adults haven't really learned this very well yet, have we? Uh, so we start teaching it to them as kids, so hopefully they'll get a better jump on it than we did in life. Uh, that being encouraged uh, by someone else feels good, and that when we encourage someone else, it also makes us feel good too. So it seems kind of natural that we should be good encouragers in life, right? But we're not always, are we? And sometimes between the, the intention to be a good encourager and the execution of it, somewhere in there, we miss the mark. Now, some of you who are here today are naturals at encouragement. Uh, it comes just, it's easy for you. It sort of flows out of your person. You say encouraging things, and you find ways to be a positive influence on people around you. God has actually given some of you the spiritual gift of encouragement, and that's your contribution to not only believers, you encourage the body of Christ, but some of you also, that's your way of showing God's love to people who don't yet know God, that you're this incredible encourager to them on their journey. But for others of us today, how can I say this? Well, we're, we're just not so natural at encouragement. It doesn't come naturally to us, and, and that's okay, because we're all wired differently, and we all have different gifts that we bring to the table. But sometimes we have this propensity to just leave ourselves off the hook for the commands that God gives us that don't align with our natural wiring, right? We think, well, someone else is supposed to be an encourager. <laughs> it doesn't need to be me, because I'm clearly not wired that way. Instead of us taking some time to say, okay, God, how do you want to work in me so that I can be an encouragement to the people around me, even if I don't seem to have that gift or it's not part of my wiring? And the truth is this, being an encourager is not just a character trait or something that we're gifted in. Actually, I think encouragement is an art form. And so it requires some time and intentionality for us to master in our lives. I've heard people say, well, Encouragement doesn't last, so really kind of why bother? Well, neither does bathing, and yet we encourage each other to do that daily, don't we? <laughs> Some things you just got to work at and keep at in life. It's not just an art form even, it's, it's a command from God. And these, these one and others that we've been looking at, they're kind of part of the mutuality commands that God gives us in Scripture. This is the way I want you to treat each other. This is the way I want you to take care of each other within the, within the church uh, within the body of Christ. And this is the way I want you to show the world my love. It's through living out these, these one another commands. So in his book, One Another, and our small groups have been, have been working through, a guy named Jerry Sitzer says, he's the author, he says this about this encourage one another command. He says, of all the commands, this one calls for careful attention to detail, elegance of style, beauty and sophistication. If done well, encouragement as an as an art, can make people feel like they're the most extraordinary people in the world. Encouragement as an art can make people feel like they're the most extraordinary people in the world. And I'm sure that many of you have experienced that in your life. Uh, the creative, genuine, elegant, heartfelt encouragement has made you feel like you're incredibly, incredibly valued at just the right time. Have any, any of you ever been encouraged at just the right time when you needed it? I mean, you're just low. Your focus is off and someone comes along and they just give you the littlest word of encouragement at the right time and it kind of changes your whole trajectory, your whole way of thinking. In my desk, in my office, I have a file that's just marked encouragement and I've had it for a long time and in there, there are all kinds of letters or little notes or emails that people sent me that I just put in there for times when I'm feeling the cold prickle, pricklies, you know? Uh, when my bucket is empty 
and I need to be filled. And uh, sometimes it's not just uh, a file that we keep or or things that people write to us, but oftentimes it's just little words of encouragement that people give us, maybe when we don't even really expect it. Yesterday we had uh, the big serve day here, and many of you came out and and served and made the campus look great. And if you didn't get a chance to check it out, um, a guy named Jim led, led a team of people, and he did those kind of little rock gardens that you see on either side of the entrance on the way in. Check those out. They're really great. Uh, but thank you to all of you guys who were a part of that yesterday. And we just had a great day. I love kind of working together with the church family. It's just encouraging to get to know people. But one of the things, someone, we were walking down a hallway yesterday and, and uh, a guy who's a, I consider to be a brother and a friend was just talking with me. And, and he said a couple things that were just really timely and encouraging to me. And I don't think probably he had any idea how encouraging his, his words were to me, but it was just the right thing to say in a moment where I needed to hear it so that he could keep me going so that I could keep growing. And I want you to think about encouragement that way today. I want you to think about when I can encourage someone to just keep going, that puts them in a place where then they can keep growing. And that's why I think encouragement is, is so vital. So let's jump into our outline this morning as we prepare to dive into God's word. You can open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 if you want to. Um, also, all the scripture is available in your outline, which is inside your program today. You can take that out and follow along in there as well. So the first point is this. When it comes to encouragement, God is the artist. When it comes to encouragement, God is the artist. God's not just an artist, he's the master artist as it relates to encouragement. He encourages us through scripture, he encourages us through his presence, he encourages us through other believers, and he encourages us through the world around us. Maybe through a beautiful sunrise, a wake-up hug from from one of your kids, or, or a sip of your favorite beverage first thing in the morning. It just brings a little joy and hope for a new day. God is an expert in encouragement. And that's what Paul helps us see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, you have to understand, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And in it, especially in the chapter that we're we're looking at today, chapter 5, Paul shows us that God's whole MO is to love us and to offer us hope, that he really is a master encourager. Now, Paul wasn't, when he made a visit to Thessalonica before he wrote this letter, he wasn't able to stay very long. As a matter of fact, he had to leave kind of abruptly. Um, And you should know that 1 Thessalonians was written to a church who had a lot of recent converts from paganism. So they were people who became followers of Jesus, but they had followed a pagan religion before. And so they really didn't have a full understanding of theology. So they didn't have a lot of support for their new faith. And then they were being persecuted as well. So it was just kind of a perfect storm for them. And Paul writes them this letter both to clear up some of the misunderstandings and some of their misunderstandings were, were centered in the second coming of Jesus and how, that was gonna, how they were going to experience that. Um, he also wanted to encourage these young believers to hang in there and continue to grow in their faith. So Paul wanted to help encourage them so that they could keep going in their faith, so that they could keep growing. Today we're going to look specifically at the fifth and final chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And Paul starts out the chapter by reminding the Thessalonians that really no one knows when Jesus is gonna return. The Bible says that only the Father knows the time that he's appointed for the return of, of, of Jesus. So it's important that they live ready. They live in such a way that they're honoring God and being obedient to God so that they're ready for Jesus' return. And so then he tells them why they should live that way in verse nine. He says this, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. 
Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Paul says, friends, let me point you back to the good news. The good news is this. The greatest hope that you can find anywhere is found in what God did on your, on your behalf because God by his actions proved to be the ultimate encourager. And so the gospel or the good news about what Jesus did is actually the ultimate encouragement for anyone. Without Jesus, we'd have no hope for salvation, no hope to stand before a holy God and be justified for our actions. Because the, we all know this, and this is why sometimes we are afraid to go to God because we're not sure that he's really a God of grace because God has every right to be angry with every one of us. And we couldn't blame if he, if he would choose to pour out his wrath on us. We're worthy of God's wrath. But instead, God gives us the ultimate encouragement that he chose Jesus, his one and only son, to save us. That he sacrificed his son, he was willing to watch Jesus go through immeasurable grief, sorrow, pain, to receive the nails in his hands and in his feet on our behalf, to die a criminal's death, so that the gap between us and unholy people and a holy God could be bridged through Jesus' sacrifice. God did it so that our sin would no longer be counted against us so that we could live with him forever, never to be separated with him, even after death. God bridged the gap through Jesus so that we would never have to experience separation from him in this life or after death. That's the father's love. There's a song we sing sometimes, how deep the father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. That God would do that on your behalf, on my behalf. Now, I want you to think about this this morning. Can you imagine if God's path to salvation for us was through works? Can you imagine if God had chosen a different way for us to try to bridge that gap? If he had to say, if he decided to say, it's your job to earn your way back to me. And a lot of religions are centered on doing that. A lot of religions are centered on earning your way towards uh, salvation. Can you imagine how exhausting that would be? Can you imagine if you followed, if you're, you followed a God who was not a God of grace, but who was a God of works? Sometimes we have trouble receiving grace, but when you think about it, can you think of how discouraging your faith would be if that was what your spirituality was about, earning your way to God's, uh, to be pleasing to God? The reason it'd be so discouraging is because we couldn't pull it off. We couldn't do it. And we'd know that. And after years and years and years and years of trying, we'd know that we were failing. But that's not how the master artist drew it up. That wasn't God's plan even though we did nothing to deserve it, instead of making us earn it, he made his son earn it for us. That's the picture that God painted. God didn't choose to paint a picture that made us earn it. God chose to paint this beautiful picture of extravagant love and hope in this act. And it was, it was a masterpiece. It was a masterpiece that he painted. One that he wants us to constantly remember and to get in front of us. You know, it's like a piece of art that you can't stop staring at. Did you ever see a piece of art? You just can't take your eyes off it. I'll be honest. Um, every Sunday I sit over here and I sit through every service. I have to sit through it with both whether I'm preaching or not. Sometimes I have to endure my own preaching through two services like this morning. It's terrible. But when I sit over there, sometimes in the second service, I get a little distracted. I'm thinking about things and I'm trying to write things down. And sometimes I look across and I see this painting and I start to think about 
10 to 12 years ago when Tom Clark was here and he did those paintings live in the service in front of all of us. And we have paintings all over the building that he was a part of doing. And I just kind of get caught in the painting. I just kind of stare into it and see the hand of Christ reaching up from the cross. And then I look over my shoulder and remember that there's a picture of the hand of the resurrected Christ over here on the other side of that. And I just get lost in, in, in the visual of all of it. And it captures me when I see Christ looking out from the cross, his hand extended, the nails in his hand. I'm just captured by it. But then there are other times when I come in here and I've been in here hundreds of times, maybe thousands, and I, I don't even, the painting doesn't even catch my eye. <laughs> I don't even think about the painting that's hanging on the wall. Christ's death on the cross was God's ultimate masterpiece of encouragement to us. If you never had a chance to, to fully soak in this masterpiece, I want to encourage you that today could be your day to do that. Maybe you're someone who's looked at this masterpiece for a long time, though. You liked it so much that you actually bought the painting. You, you bought it. And it was important enough to you that you hung it somewhere in your life that it w- would have the opportunity to be seen and pondered over every day in your life. And now here you are years later. And if you're honest, you really haven't gazed at God's masterpiece for a while. Sometimes you kind of forget that it's even there. It hasn't changed. It's still as amazing as ever. And you've been missing its beauty and its impact in your life though without taking the time to fully take it in. Maybe it's become kind of commonplace to you. It's just another painting. And you're in that place this morning. If that's where you are, I especially want to encourage you to stand in awe of the masterpiece of the cross, to recognize that even if God never chose to act on our behalf again, that he would still be the master artist and encourager of all time. I want to pray for us this morning. God, would you take away anything that would prevent us from gazing fully into your incredible masterpiece, into Jesus' death on the cross for us? Would you let it impact us in a new or fresh way, the incredible humbling sacrifice that you made on our behalf? We love you, God. Thank you for your act of love for us. I want you to watch this video with me for just a moment.
Father, would you help us today as we confess that sometimes we are distracted, that we take this unprecedented work that you've done in our lives for granted. Lord, sometimes we lose focus on who you are and what you've done on our behalf and how you want us to live our lives and how you want to lead our lives. Today, Lord, we re-acknowledge the beauty of the masterpiece that you painted when you sent Jesus to die on our behalf. And the best we know how, we recommit ourselves to you today. We surrender our hearts, our will, and our plans for yours. Lead on, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you, God, for being such an encouragement in what you've done in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So God is the artist of hope. Revisiting 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10, it says this, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we were dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So while Paul was certainly offering encouragement to the Thessalonians by reminding them what what Jesus had done for them, he was also offering these young believers some clarity on this question that they were stuck on. They were confused and concerned about what happened to believers who died before Jesus returned because some of the Thessalonians thought that all believers would live until Jesus returned, but then some of the people around them, some of their friends and family members started dying. And so they weren't sure whether these believers would get to be a part of Jesus' family forever. And Paul said, don't worry, be encouraged. Whether or not believers pass away before Jesus returns, all of us who believe will get to live with Jesus forever. And then Paul goes on in verse 11 and he says, with all of this established, with knowing that Jesus will be returning, but also knowing that life is a journey where you can lose focus and you can lose heart. Paul says this, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. He says, help others be ready for Christ's return. Help others make it through this journey of life. How? Through encouraging each other, through building each other up. He wants them to remember that God is the master artist. He's painted this masterpiece of hope And he's still painting that masterpiece today and he wants to use us in the process. And this is kind of the second part of the message today. So when it comes to encouragement, God is the artist, but we are the brushes. When it comes to encouragement, God's the artist, but we're the brushes. We're the tools in the hands of the master artist. And by painting with and through us, God helps other people experience his love. So we see it, Paul says, here's what God has done in verses nine and 10. But then in verse 11, he says, here's what I have done Here's what I have for you to do, what I want to do through you. Encourage each other and build each other up. And Paul says, you're already doing it. I know that you are, so keep it up because your encouragement can make the difference between whether someone quits in their faith or whether someone keeps on in their faith. Paul knew and had experienced John 16, where Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble because life is beautiful, but life is also really hard. But he also knew that Jesus said, take heart because I've overcome the world. And our encouragement and our hope is found in pointing each other towards him. So the hope of Jesus had had overcome Paul to the point that he devoted his whole life to teaching and encouraging other people. And so in verses 12 through 18, Paul goes into a little bit more detail about who needs encouragement and how we can live together as encouragers. So let me just run down through this really quickly. He He says this, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you, Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other 
And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, I love that Paul speaks to so many different kinds of people here or so many different places where people are. He's basically saying, if you wonder who needs encouragement in life, everybody needs encouragement in life. Verse 12 and 13 refer to those who work hard among you and who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. And I want you to think about this. I'm sure there are people in your life, people in your workplace, in your household, people at daybreak, people in the school districts and volunteer organizations that that you're connected to that serve you and work hard. These people need your encouragement for what they do. I think it's definitely a central Pennsylvania thing that that we tend to take hard work for granted, don't we? Um, It's kind of our expectation. We just assume that hard work should be the status quo. So instead of thanking people when they work hard for us, we kind of think things like this. Well, that's what they're supposed to do. So why should I encourage them for doing their job? They're supposed to be doing that, right? Like that's our expectation of people. But when you think about that, I want you to think about how many of you have busted your butt on something and received no encouragement for it. Think about it. When you were in a place of service and you gave everything that you have and no one recognized or encouraged you because you worked hard, that can be crushing in your life. Encouragement to hard workers is like the preventative maintenance on your car. You can't just take it for granted that your car is going to keep running and running without a little bit of love, right? So just as a car isn't going to keep going and do what it's supposed to do without regular oil changes, hard workers won't be able to keep doing what they're supposed to do without encouragement and blessing from you. So I want you to think about this. Who are the hard workers in your life that you've taken for granted or you just haven't taken the time to encourage? Paul here also says that those who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. And most or or many translations actually translate this verse to say, acknowledge and encourage those who lead you. So I want you to think about this this morning. Who is it that cares for you and speaks truth and love to you when you need it most? Is it a friend, called out companions, a small group leader, maybe a mentor, maybe even your boss at work? How about someone from one of the ministries at church, one of the staff at church, maybe one of the pastors? Who encourages you? Paul encourages us to hold these people in high regard in our lives, to value them because of the sacrifices that they're making to serve you well. He says at the end of verse 13, to live at peace with each other. And he kind of runs that thought right into holding these leaders in high regard. I want you to think about this because way too much of our culture today, we have an immediate distrust of leaders, don't we? Question authority, boom. It's a little mantra. We're critical and we over-evaluate and over-analyze every move that leaders make. And way too quickly, we push off of our leaders and disagree with them. I want you to think about this. What if your first response to the people who lead you in life was to encourage them? What if your first response was to think about how you could bless them? How much of a difference that would make for them as they work hard to try to keep on providing leadership for you? How much of a difference would it make for us if our attitude was to choose to live at peace and to hold our leaders in high regard, taking the position of a humble and grateful encourager instead of the default position that we probably know better than they do, even when we're not in their shoes? What if we stopped being cynics and what if we started being encouragers? 
And Paul goes on in verse 14 by saying, we urge you to warn those who are idle and disruptive. Apparently some of the Thessalonians were so sure that Jesus was going to return any day that they all quit their jobs, which is very faith-filled. <laughs> but at the same time, they stopped contributing to their communities in the ways that others were counting on them. And so they were being idle and they were disrupting the rest of the community who relied on each person to do their part and to do what God had called them to do. And so Paul uses this word warn here. And what does warning have to do with encouragement really? Well, the Greek word for encouragement has several different meanings. And in addition to the traditional meaning of speaking positive words or speaking life into someone, it also means to exhort someone. And that's what Paul is saying here, that some of us need to be exhorted, to be encouraged, to stay focused on what God has called us to do and how God has called us to live. And he continues by saying, encourage the disheartened. And this is another meaning of the Greek word for encouraged because comfort is part of the word encouragement in this word. It shows us that encouragement isn't just about saying nice words, but it's also about comforting words. He says that for people who are disheartened, your encouragement could actually put courage into them to place courage into someone. And I believe that's true in this passage as well, especially um, because of what we see next, because Paul also says, help the weak and be patient with everyone. And in, in many other passages, when Paul refers to the weak, he's not talking about people who lack strength physically. He's talking about people who aren't quite there spiritually. They're weak in their faith. And I believe that's true in this passage because he partners help the weak with be patient with everyone. And I want to ask you, whether it's in spiritual matters or not, it can sometimes be hard and patient to be patient with someone who isn't quite there on their journey yet, right? If you're trying to apprentice someone at the job or train someone in, in the job that you do, sometimes it's hard to be patient with someone who's just learning it new. And sometimes in our faith, when we come along someone who's further, as further behind than we are, maybe seeing discipling of them or being patient with them as they journey through things Maybe that could seem a little bit inconvenient for us or annoying to us. But I want you to think about the time in your life when you were weak in your faith, when you were learning something new. One of the most encouraging things when you're in that place is to have someone come alongside you and give you personal attention and personal focus and care to intentionally help you and offer you to take a next step, offer you grace as you're growing. And Paul's saying, don't forget what that was like. Help them just as you uh, needed help when you were in their position. That's encouragement. So Paul continues in these next few verses as he wraps up. He says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. These last few verses show us that yes, encouragement is something that we speak into others, but that we can also encourage each other by how we live. Just how we live our lives can be an encouragement to the people around us. Paul says we can do that by ensuring justice, by seeking good, by being quick to rejoice, by making prayer your default, like we talked about last week, and by giving thanks in all circumstances that this is a lifestyle of gratitude to God that will be an encouragement to the people around you. Now, many of you have said that you struggle memorizing scripture, and I want to just call this out for just a minute here. This is your moment, okay? This is your week because we have two verses here right in a row, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17, that each of them are only two words long, and they're great verses to memorize, okay? So circle them, underline them in your outline or in your Bible. You can, these are keepers for you. Think about it. Think about if you memorized these two verses and kept them in front of you, just these two. Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray continually. Commit those to memory. 
Commit those to memory and then go back to John eleven thirty five, 35, which is the other two, two word verse in scripture. And that's Jesus wept. Do those things because you have a savior who loves you, who gave everything for you so that you could be encouraged. He saw your need and he loved you and blessed you. So three great two word verses to memorize in scripture. Now we could devote an entire sermon series to any of those things. Um, but that's why Paul says living this way is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A life that's rooted in Jesus is going to bear fruit and it's going to be an encouragement to other people. It's not just us putting on this encouragement, it's being rooted in Jesus. And there's so much good stuff here in verses 12 to 18 and it all points to the fact that everyone needs encouragement. The strong, the weak, the faithful, the distracted, the downtrodden, and everyone in between. And the question that I want to ask you this morning as we wrap this up is who needs your encouragement today? Who needs your encouragement who needs you to speak courage into their life? Who needs your actions to display a fulfilled life that's rooted in Christ, that they can come to you and that they know you're a person who's gonna point to Jesus by the way that you live and by the words that you say? They're gonna be blessed. Who needs you to show up in their life? While you begin to think about today, I want you to be encouraged uh, by the way that you, all of you, our church family, have encouraged well in the past few months. I want you to hear from a few daybreak travelers on the journey with us who wanted the opportunity to thank you for the encouragement that you have made in their lives. And I want to tell you, they were a little bit nervous when they came in and shared this, but I want you to hear their hearts this morning saying, thank you, daybreak, for the encouragement that you've been to me. Let's watch together. I would like to say thank you to daybreak staff, volunteers, and members for doing exactly what you've promised. You've helped me rediscover, explore, and deepen my journey with Christ at a time in my life when I thought that was beyond my reach. I feel seen at daybreak for who I am and who I'm not, and I am accepted. The environment at daybreak allows me to lean into God. Every day here, I realize more and more that I do not have to hide or pretend that we're all in this together, struggling to find God in the chaos of life. Coming to Daybreak for the first time was admittedly nerve-wracking for me. I didn't grow up having a positive church experience and did not feel like I fit in anywhere. Ironically for me, the Sunday that I first started coming to Daybreak was when they started the sermon series on anxiety. Just in the moment, I realized this was the place where God meant for me to be. Since then, I've experienced some financial issues and spiritual doubts. I share these with Pastor Sean one Sunday after church in casual conversation. I was taken aback by how quickly the church family came alongside me to provide me with financial and spiritual guidance. I wouldn't be in the place I am today without these individuals that God had brought into my life and the environment here at Daybreak, in which people like us are able to find guidance and have people like you come alongside us in our journey. Hi Daybreak family. Thanks for coming and suiting up and showing up on Sundays to show me your love for Christ. It has made all the difference in my life and in my journey. I looked around and couldn't believe how many Christ followers were with me my first day at daybreak. The music and the singing moved me and the message challenged me to be the change and the person that God wants me to be. I looked around in amazement and finally realized that I had been missing Jesus Christ in my life. You showed me that. I was welcomed and I felt 
included while inside I felt scared and unworthy. The whole of my soul has been filled with the grace and the glory of God. But he had help. Because this church was filled with love and obedience, I got to take it all in like a child. And I thank you for that. All right, I just want you to look around for a second. Just look at a few people around you awkwardly. This is going to be awkward. And I want you to know that every person, every person you lock eyes with matters to God. Every person. Everyone in this room this morning needs encouraged. Everyone has an emotional bucket that either you can be pouring into and filling um, or that's not going to be filled and it's going to be emptied. Every one of us needs that. You know, in this year's London Marathon, there was an awesome example of this. They were down to the last 200 meters of the race when one of the runners, Matthew Rees, noticed that one of his competitors was really, he was struggling. And this is what Mr. Rees told the Associated Press. He said this, I took the final corner thinking, all right, it's nearly done. Time to sprint and shave a few seconds off my time. But I saw one of my fellow runners whose legs just crumbled beneath him. I saw him try to stand up again and his legs just went down again. And I thought, this is more important. Getting him across that line is way more important than improving my time. So I went over to try to help him. And every time he tried to get up, he just fell down again and again. So I tried to cheer him on and picked him up and said, come on, we can do this. He kept saying, I have to finish. I have to finish. And I said, you will finish. You will get there. Come on, let's do this together. I want to encourage you this morning. Someone needs you to be Matthew Reese to them today. Someone needs your encouragement today to help them finish, to help them finish today, to help them get through this week so that not only can they just keep going, but so that they can keep growing in their faith and their confidence in God. As we take a few minutes and wrap up this morning, um, I'd love it if you would take out two things. Number one is, well, they're both together, your response card and the sticky note that's on it. If you take it just a minute, and we're going to take a few minutes. I'm going to ask the worship team uh, uh, to come on up now. We're going to listen to a song together uh, via video, and then we're going to go into a closing song. But as we listen to this song, I want you to do a, uh, a couple of things. Number one, if God spoke to you about someone in your life who needs encouraged right now, I want you to go ahead and write their name on the sticky note heart. We've been doing this throughout the whole series. And that's the real question uh, at the end of the message today is who needs your encouragement so that they can keep on in this life-changing journey with Jesus? Who needs that from you today? How could God use you to speak life into someone else? And if God put that on your heart today, go ahead and write that down. I can promise you this, you're gonna be encouraged as you breathe, breathe life into others as well. So go ahead and keep that sticky note, then that's for you. And I also want you to think this way. If you need encouragement today, if you're here and you're saying everything that you're saying is true and it's true because I need it in my life, I need it in my life right now, would you go ahead and write that down as a prayer request? Because we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to even connect with you this week and be an encouragement to you as well. So let's take these next few moments as we watch this video together and respond to God. And then we're going to close with one final song together today.
Some days life feels perfect, other days it just ain't working. The good, the bad, the right, the wrong, and everything in between. Yo, it's crazy, amazing, we can turn our heart through the words we say. Mountains crumble with every syllable, hope can live or die. So speak life. Rejoice always, right? Two-word verse, easy to memorize. You're right, Pastor Rick. This is our last chance to rejoice the, the Lord that speaks life into us. Would you stand and sing with us?